So, uh, it's so good to be with you all um, in the promised land in, in Stellenbosch. Um, come from another beautiful part of the world, just down the road in Wellington. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Mike, and I'm here with my lovely wife, Aidy. Um, and yeah, we have the privilege just to minister this evening, based in Wellington, um, been involved with Josh Jen for many years, probably for 22, 23 years, about three months after the beginning, after it was planted, and we've journeyed a long journey with um, Andrew and some of the guys that have just, and girls that have been pro, um, journeying this along over the years, currently um, um, leading a full-time discipleship school that's actually part of Josh Jane called TMT. And so, yeah, currently leading that and just traveling and ministering around. And so, obviously, I think most of you would know me. I know some of you, but it's a real delight just to see the hunger and the, just the appetite for God, um, the hunger and the thirst for Him. And I trust that that would increase and increase. I know for me, you guys have to work hard to catch up to me because I'm running ahead. And uh, if you think you're going to outrun me with zeal and like you've got another thing coming, man. Us old guys, you're going to have to work hard. We're going to pass the baton, but we are, we are in this till the day we die. Uh, I'm not, God doesn't give out prizes at the halfway line, you know, like retire at 45 or whatever it is. You know, I'm 49 now. I'm going to go for it, God willing, if Jesus doesn't come back till I'm 90, 100. I'll be here, man. I'll be serving the Lord. I'll be pouring my life out. You know, we'll be, our kids are, are pouring their lives out. We are pouring our lives out for the Lord. You're going to have to work hard to catch us. Um, you're not just going to, we're not going to just hand over the baton to you, but we want to. And, uh, <laughs> and so what I want to do is um, I want to share this evening. Um, I know you guys are doing a series and I want to carry on with that on, um, actually I've entitled it, I love Jesus, but do I need theology? Theology? you might ask. And I know for some, the word theology can actually become like a Christian dirty word. And it's a word we kind of shy away from, a word we kind of, well, at least I know among some people, I got born again into a charismatic church, but like this, um, loved the life of the Spirit, loved worship, loved the presence of God. But when you mention the word theology, the leaders would recoil and say, don't go down there. Because you're going to end up being puffed up with pride, and you're going to end up, um, you know, having such a big head and such a small heart that you're going to miss the life of God. And they kind of put me off any kind of serious getting deep into God. And, you know, the thing that I want to feel like tonight, want to really just encourage you, and I think as um, we look at the Word, as I kind of just bring out some points along this, is that you would go deep with Him. Because we can go wide with him, you know. One thing you can be a, you can be a shallow Christian, so you can do the right thing on the outward. You can even raise your hands in the air. You can even speak in tongues. You can even prophesy. Maybe you even get goosebumps. Maybe you even encounter God or get healed. That's wonderful. Those are wonderful things, and we need those things. But more than that, you know, if you just have that, you're going to be very shallow. And as we are building for the future, you are building. For, the, for eternity. You're building a life that you want to finish well. I don't know about you, but when you signed up to follow Christ, you signed up for a life of faith, that you begin in faith. That's what Romans 1 says. It's from faith to faith. That's saying, I will trust in Him. I'll start with faith, and it's a journey of faith till the end. And it's a journey of faith that um, He says that, that those who endure to the end will be saved. And I don't know, don't know about you, but for me, I want to endure to the end. 
And I know I will not be able to endure to the end with a wide, shallow faith. It needs to go deep. I need to be dug down into the foundation of Christ. I need to know His ways. And so one of the ways we do that is by developing a theology. And, you know, theology, as I mentioned, is a bit of a bad word. And someone once said, I'd heard this years ago, that a theologian is like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that isn't there. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? It's like, you know, that's just, that's just academic stuff. But actually, do you know that we are all theologians? You're a theologian. Oh, because theology essentially means the word on God or the study of God. It's this pursuit of the knowledge of God to know Him and to obey Him and honor Him. That's what, the, what theology means. It's not dry, academic. Now, what I mean by saying you are a theologian is that you have a, a view on God. You, it might not be the right view. You might not be a very good theologian, but you are one. Even an atheist is a theologian because they have got views and thoughts and, uh, on God. In fact, you know, we, in, and atheists have very particular, very strong views against the, the existence of God. How sad, how meaningless, how empty is that life? But, you know, God also has a word on atheists. He also has an opinion about atheists. Actually, in the Psalms, it says, um, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So the view of God on atheists is they're fools. And you could be an educated fool. You could have degrees behind your name. But actually, if you deny his existence, it's like you're denying the very evidence of what is around us. Um, and so he's a wise cred. And so we've got this thing of theology. And, and, and I want to just tonight use an example of a house. And I want to give four points or four tests that I want to break down for us to ask you, what kind of theology do you have to stand the test of time, to go deep in your faith that you would finish well? And I want to use the illustration with you guys with the illustration of a house. And, uh, you know, a house is built brick by brick, um, pillar by pillar, tile by tile. Most, bricks are mo most homes are built. And a home is made up of individual bricks. And in the same way, although the Bible doesn't speak about theology, actually, it does have a heart of knowing God and His ways, but it speaks about doctrine. And Scripture is clear about, and I want to say that uh, doctrine is like the bricks of a house that make up your view of God. And doctrine, the Bible speaks a lot about doctrine. Now you say, Mike, what is doctrine? Good question. Glad you asked. And doctrine's also one of those stuffy words like doctrine. You know, how's your doctrine? Actually, you know, Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy, um, this is 2 Timothy 4, he says, watch your doctrine and watch your life because by doing so, you will save yourself and you will save your hearers. Watch your doctrine. And we haven't been taught. With the, we, we don't know what does it mean to watch your doctrine. Doctrine essentially means teaching or instruction. And it's saying that in order to build up your view of God, in order to become a healthy Christian that's going to have your faith deep down and to run the race well, you need healthy teaching. You need instruction. And now where do we get that? Obviously, as we grow up, we get that from YouTube. The gospel, of, according to YouTube, I love YouTube, I, you know, I, YouTube, we get it from parents, we get it from upbringing, you get it from culture, you get it from your imagination, and we, we receive all these teachings, and essentially, a doctrine means teaching that you receive, but obviously, with a series, is we want to get you back to be grounded upon 
being a Christian who lasts according to the truth of God's Word, and, and to help you fall in love with this, in a sense, love letter given to us so that it can sustain us, objective revelation, whether you're feeling on cloud nine, and you've got angel dust falling after you, you know, as you're walking along, the angels are singing audibly, and, and when you open your Bible, it glows, it's like, you know, you have those days, like, oh, you know, and then you have those other days where you are feeling, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and you feel more like the devil than Jesus, it doesn't matter how you feel, the Word of God is the same. It's trustworthy. Uh, in Titus 1, it speaks about the trustworthy Word as taught. And so we know we've got to go back to, to this, the objective reality of what is true and right and, and the gospel. And, um, and so I want to encourage you tonight and to say that we have an opportunity in our lives, as we receive teachings and we believe and even give teachings and instruction from all these places, information. By the way, you know, we're living in, um, someone termed the phrase, the infopocalypse. Uh, I heard it recently on a podcast where we, you guys are in a generation, and I suppose I'm in that generation too, you guys, we guys. We're in a generation where there's just a flood of information that is coming our way. And we hard, it's hard to know which teachings to receive, who to trust, who not to trust. Do you ever feel like that? What's fake and what's true? You know, what's, you know what, what is to be believed? And in the midst of this, we do have one thing that we can go back to again and again and again. And God's heart is that we build with the right kind of bricks to build a house, a view of God that will actually shape us into the future and into eternity. And um, scripture, I want us to look at two scriptures, one scripture 2 Timothy 4.3, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, or some versions say sound doctrines. That's the, uh, the Greek word for doctrine, teaching. Sound teaching. In other words, there's some kind of teaching that when you receive that's f sound and healthy, it will make you flourish in the Lord. And I want to say this, by the way, that you say, I'm not into teaching. I love Jesus, but why do I need teaching? I want to ask you, when you got born again, do you want God to actually help your thinking? Or do you just want to have good feelings all the time? Hopefully, you want your mind to be renewed. And the thing about being born again is when you get born again, you don't get a new mind. You get a new heart. You receive a new, your spirit gets born again. You're made alive within you. You were dead, and now you're alive. But your mind is still stuck in the old patterns and ways of thinking. And some of us, we still think like unbelievers. We still treat people exactly the same as before you were born again. Because your mind has to catch up with your soul. You've got to learn, and that's a lifelong process of washing your mind, of changing your thinking. How do you do that? By truth. And part of what I'm sharing t t with you tonight is not goosebumps and bubbles and butterflies. Who, give me a nice word. You know, who tell me how much Jesus loves me? No, I'm not doing that. I'm not telling you how much Jesus loves you. I want to train you tonight, train you to, to desire the kind of teaching, to watch your doctrine, to watch your life, so that you train to think in a certain way, to think Christianly, to think in a way that is godly, because that's how we will endure to the end, because this world has got this, there's no sound doctrine or sound teaching. And look what it says. So the time is coming when people not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We're going to look more at that later. Let's look at the next scripture, Ephesians 4.14. 
And it says, so that we may no longer be children. What is the mark of spiritual immaturity? It's this very thing, that you are too easily influenced by different types of doctrines that sweep through the church and through the world. And I'm going to highlight one or two just now. By the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And you know, the wonderful thing is, as I'm going to give you the four tests now to ask you, like, how are you building? What is the doctrine that you're building upon? Is it trustworthy? Is it firm? Is it secure? Or is it actually flimsy and your house will fall down? Your view of God is, is incomplete. And I mean, we all have incomplete heart, view of God. None of us have arrived. But in the sense that, that it's, it's firm and stable and able to stand the test. And you know, the thing about this is as we dive in, I want to say that with the New Testament particularly, as many of you know, Paul's epistles... Um, which are the letters written by Paul to churches that are struggling. And many of them were going through conflict and they were fighting. They were arguing. There was false teaching. And he writes to them. By the way, they're called occasional letters because they're written to deal with specific issues in the church. If you want to find a perfect church, it's the one where you're not part of. There's people there's going to be issues, right? And in the early church, it was the same. And so he writes these letters to them. And the one thing that's interesting with them is, as a rule, the letters don't start. They never start with dealing with action and behavior and the outworking of your faith. The first half of his letters deal with theology, doctrine. They deal with the ideas of what does it mean to be a person in Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ as Lord? Who is Christ? What, and, and he kind of combats ideas because he knows that there's these ideas sweeping through the church, causing us to be kind of swept off course if we're not careful. What does he do? He deals with doctrine. And then from there, the outworking of it into practice. And, and you see, right belief leads to right living. Not the other way around. Sometimes the other way around, but very rarely. Everyone with me so far? You're awake. And it's like, yeah, it's dark. <laughs> it's dark, man. I've had a long night. <laughs> All right. Hopefully you can even see me. I was wearing black. T I actually would have worn a white shirt if I'd known that it was going to be dark. You know, because I actually want to like, Lord, you know, I want to be like the preachers of old who wore a black cloak. So I would be hide behind the word of God. So it's not me, it's Christ. But now it's like, I can't even see you at all, man. <laughs> all right, maybe you can see a floating head, you know, on the thing. Okay. So, here are the four tests. And these are questions that I'm going to give you to show you if you're holding to healthy teaching and beliefs. And it's really to measure where your spirituality is at in terms of truth. Right? And so, let's have a look. You're ready for the, the test. It's like, man, I'm, I'm not at university. I just want the presence of God. Yeah, amen. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number one, first test, first question is, is your gospel the old, old gospel that the apostles preached? Question mark. Okay, I kind of let it hang because I should change my question. But is your gospel the old gospel that the apostles preached? That's the first question. And, you know, I want to say to you that part of being a Christian means to actually build upon the shoulders of other men and women who have gone before us over the ages. What makes us Christian is the fact that the same belief that people had 2,000 years ago or 1,900 years ago, that same belief, someone could walk into this building who had been an ancient Christian 
in the early church and should walk into one of our meetings and in some ways say, I recognize that. Yes, I witness with that. We serve the same God. What would they say if they had to walk in one of our meetings, into your community group, into your home? And so this old gospel is one where we have to learn to contend for the faith, this ancient faith, which is passed down from the eyewitnesses of Jesus, and those eyewitnesses preach the gospel, the good news, we'll look at that just now, not the gospel, but just some false gospels, and they preached it, they wrote it down, and that's our New Testament today, which we are devoted to, the apostles' teaching. And so that is the ancient thing. But the problem is, let's look at 2 Corinthians 11, 3 to 4. And it says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. Interesting. What will be led astray? Your heart? Your emotions? No. What? You'll, say it with me. Your thoughts. Your thoughts will be led astray. So the battleground for your faith are your thoughts. The battleground, the spiritual warfare that you and I should be doing is in the realm of our mind, right? What we believe affects our destiny in God, affects how we see Him, how we act, and affects our emotions. Our emotions are simply a gauge of what we believe. So it carries on. Verse 4, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it ready enough. Imagine this, they're receiving a different Jesus. They're hearing a different gospel. And I want to give you two kind of false gospels that are around today that I think are sweeping the church and can actually cause us not to build on Christ. Um, And again, I want to go deep with you on some of these things, and I want to poke you. Actually, I hope that some of you walk out here, I said at the 4 p.m., maybe I just like picking a fight. Actually, walk out a bit disturbed, that if you've got the wrong foundation, you know, Jesus says that He will come and He will shake, He will refine. Judgment starts with the house of God. Sometimes He loves you so much that He's going to disturb you, because He wants you to have the right foundation, build on the right things. So I want to give you two Gospels that I think... It's concerning today, we're finding in churches today. Number one, the therapeutic gospel, what has been called the therapeutic gospel. And this gospel is essentially the news that God exists and has made you a Christian or you're born again so that you can have a happy life. (laughs) Yeah. Where essentially Jesus, this kind of Jesus, is like a religious therapist, that is there to kind of meet your, your felt needs and is there to kind of make you feel good about yourself. This Jesus looks at you and says, you're always a 10 out of 10. <laughs> and he says to you, even if you sin and mess up, it's okay. I'm always pleased with you. This kind of Jesus kind of says, I'm there to help you realize your inner potential. I'm here to help you realize that you're significant and then you're more powerful than you realize and that you can do whatever you want as long as you just follow your desires of your heart. You can live your best life now. Now, you might be listening to this and say, what's wrong with that? (laughs) 
Here are symptoms to show that you might live off the diet of the therapeutic gospel. You never dwell on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. People in that gospel never talk about the cross. Secondly, phrases such as confessing my sin is never spoken of and practicing ongoing repentance is not done. Why? Because God's always pleased with me. I don't have to repent. He loves me as I am, a.k.a. Joseph Prince. I'm going to poke a few things tonight. Okay. I don't mind if you're upset with me on it. Come speak to me afterwards. But actually, I want us... Guys, this is serious. We're not messing around here. We're here to, to dig up. We're here to wrestle with what is true. And if it's not true, we're not, we're not dishonoring. These guys, some of them love the Lord, but there's error. And unfortunately, it's, a, it's a, the spirit of the age that builds, it, it makes self-idolatry. It's idolizing self. You're saying to Jesus, Jesus, I give my life to you. Come follow me, Lord. Come and bless my plans. Would you be an attachment on my life? Sure, I'll go to church. Sure, I'll even tithe, but Lord, would you come and just, just make sure that you, you follow me? They won't say it quite like that, but that's what they mean. Let's look at some other parts of diet. You believe God would never want you to experience suffering. You follow your heart's desires and think that God will bless that because he wants to make you happy. By the way, one of the fruits of, this, of, of the Christian life is joy and happiness. I bet... I'm a happy guy. I believe in happiness, all right? But it's a fruit. We don't chase it. If you chase it, it's elusive. We chase God. All right. Let's, here's another symptom of the, of the therapeutic gospel. You reinterpret scriptures that have, the same, that have meant the same thing, have the same meaning for 2,000 years to validate your desires, especially your sexual desires. You claim, you often claim prophetic words to confirm that God endorses your desires. This is called confirmation bias, when we try and validate our carnal desires by spiritualizing it. Ouch. Now, I've been guilty of some of these things. I confess. But which Jesus are you following? Are you following that kind of Jesus that is there for you? Are you following actually the Jesus of the Bible? Very different Jesus to this. So that's the one gospel, the therapeutic gospel. Another gospel that is a wind blowing through the church, which is often, now the one I want to say, lands on the side of what we call license. It's a, it's a gospel of license, saying live like you want, and God just winks at your sin. But the other side I want to give you is called the self-improvement gospel, which is this false gospel where I can summarize it as legalism, which is just as bad. And this is where God is not just your, here's your, here's your personal therapist, He's your guru. He's like personal Jesus. You know, and we, we know he's close and personal. We know he's our friend. He is that. That's a wonder of salvation. All right? But we so take it out. But the other side is Jesus is your coach. This Jesus is a Jesus who says, you can try harder. You can do better. And this kind of Jesus, you know that you're under this Jesus because whenever you go to pray, you always fall under condemnation because you never feel like you, 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 you're good enough. Like, oh, you feel Jesus saying, pray a little bit more. Read your Bible a bit harder. You know, you come to church more often. Now, those are good things, and that's the fruit of a devoted life. But it's kind of under a cloud of condemnation and comparison and kind of a drivenness in terms of that. You know, I 
grew up under that kind of gospel, under a traditional church that taught me to be accepted and approved by God, I have to be a good person. The problem was I was a good person, but I was stinking dead corpse spiritually. I was dead in my sins. So it doesn't matter how good you're going to be, you're dead. Like Ephesians 2, my issue was I had to learn how to become alive, which is a work of the Spirit by grace. And so, symptoms of the self-improvement gospel. Here are some. Number one, do you fall into condemnation easily? When you hear, Lord, what are you saying to me? Try harder. (laughs) And you sense that you never measure up to Jesus. You never measure up to other more spiritual Christians. Another symptom is when you see other Christians struggling, this is the issue you believe. They are not committed. They are not devoted they got to get their act together, try harder, because you're living under that. Now, again, some of these things are true, but the root of it is wrong. You feel, here's another symptom. Okay, um, just bring it on, man. You feel worthless if you aren't involved in some kind of giving or some kind of ministry. You feel worthless. Welcome to the self-improvement gospel. And you know, an example like this in the Bible, can you think of anyone in Scripture who was someone that was under this kind of gospel, this kind of news, that lived their life like this? There's a story in Luke chapter 18. I'm not going to turn there, but I wanted to explain it to you. Luke 18, there's a story of two men, and they both go to church. By the way, they're both worshipers. They're both raising their hands in the air. They're probably both speaking tongues and prophesy. No, they don't go that far, okay, because they're under the Old Testament. Anyway, just... Just stay with me. Imagine the story. And these two men go to church. One man, man, he's upright. Sure. This person is, he's devoted. He, in fact, he's like uh, DeFries was saying, he's, he is, he's nothing like DeFries because he's been giving faithfully all the time. He's been, he hasn't missed a tithe in, in years. He's faithful. He's the first one at the prayer meeting. He's the last one to leave the building. He is, um, everyone says, oh, that person. He's so good. He's so upright. He's so righteous. That is a true, true believer. That he's just like he's upright. And then there's another guy that comes into the meeting. A stinking mess. Broken individual whose life, he just can't get it together. And he's, he's come finally. He's run away from God. And finally he's come to God. And he's thrown himself at the mercy of God, crying out, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm broken. I'm in need of a Savior. I cannot trust in my own works. The man that has got it all together, when he comes and prays, because by the way, they're both praying, but that one who comes to pray, he says, Lord, thank you that I'm so spiritual. Lord, thank you that I'm, you know, Lord, I want to remind you of how good I am. I give to the poor. I tithe. I, I pray more than that guy. And he's just comparing himself. And you know, the whole shock of the story, at least for the religious people of the day, is Jesus says, you know the one that is pleasing to God? Is that guy on the floor who's a broken mess. He's pleasing to God. Why? Jesus is not saying he doesn't want us to become holy and godly. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is saying the man that was so upright was trusting in his own works. His confidence was in his own ability to save himself. He simply used religion to kind of make himself feel good. 
Yeah, and I want to say I've been guilty of that. I have struggled with uh, performance over the years, performing my way to God. I, when I come into Him, often like I don't feel like I'm good enough, Lord. I have struggled with that, my friends. I've I've really struggled, struggled with performance, struggled with striving, struggled with comparison. One thing I do really well is I compare myself to others. Yes, I'm further along than they are. A competitive spirit. I grew up with a twin brother, for goodness sake. We competed at everything. Who's going to bed first? Okay, who's staying up latest? Who's going to eat their food fastest? You know? Like we competed with everything. Who does dad love more? <laughs> no, not that bad. But we ca- he comes on the basis. I want to say that if you're in that, if you maybe feel you sometimes come to God and you congratulate yourself, you know, oh, I was so devoted tonight. Yeah, I came to the front. Praise God. Lord, can you see? Woe to you. You are under, I want to say, Galatians says, if you lean and trust in your own works, the Bible says you're under a curse. Galatians 1 says, if you're trusting in your works, you are under a curse. And I can't say that's strong enough. But you know the wonder of the true gospel? What do we do? We come to God on the basis of His works, His righteousness, of His obedience. And every time we come to Him, although we come boldly and we can become good people, we now are alive and we can grow in Him, but we come every time, every time we come, Lord, I don't want to congratulate myself of how good I am. Father, I'm leaning on You because of Jesus or what You've done. The gospel is a gospel of grace. God's riches at the expense of Jesus, at Jesus' expense. Right? So I, I hope that, you know, this is good news, by the way. There's power in that gospel. There is no power in the therapeutic gospel. There's no power in the self-improvement gospel. It might work for the short term. It does not work. It's grace, the gospel of grace. Everyone with me? All right, let's look at a couple of other tests quickly. Is your doctrine, what you receive, the teachings you receive from obviously reading the Bible, but even from other places, does it lead you to become arrogant or proud, or does it lead you to worship and obedience? You know, here's the thing, is that the goal of university studies is knowledge and skill. And I think, I would imagine, when you, when you finish your degree, you, sh- you should feel competent, right? Competent and confident. I think, well... Take that back. Probably like, I have no idea what I'm doing now. (laughs) Right, that's a reality. But in reality, that's what they want to get you to. But you know, when we come to the Bible and we come to the Lord, the goal of Bible study is worship and obedience. Rather than God doesn't want you to be competent yourself, He wants you to be humbled under Him. And so I want to ask you, is that when you read Scripture, does it lead you just to say, well, that was clever. (laughs) I'm going to tell my friends. Now, it's good to do that. It's good to share truth and revelation. Of course, we can grow in instruction and knowledge and facts. But the point of the Pharisees, why they had sinned against God, was because they missed Jesus, the author of the Word. And when we come to it, it should lead us. And I want to say, if your love of the Word and your reading of the Word and your receiving of teachings leads you to want to obey the Lord and love Him, you're on the right track. Tick. You can tick that box. Let's look at number three. Is your doctrine, so again, the test, these are the bricks, the tests. Number three, is your doctrine large enough 
to handle suffering? Is it large enough to handle suffering? In other words, is your view of God and your belief in what the Scriptures say, does it make room for disappointment, disillusionment, desert periods, sickness? Is your God bigger than those things, and can He use those things for His glory? If, if you say yes, I want to say you probably have a healthy doctrine, healthy teaching. And unfortunately, there is a wind of doctrine blowing through the church today, taught by a very big, well-known movement in the States. I'm going to mention them, not because I don't think they might have some stuff helpful, but it's the Bethel movement. And essentially, the, the main guy there teaches that God does not want you to suffer. And suffering is not part. Suffering happens because, yes, it happens because of sin. But actually, if we look at Scripture, God sometimes ordains you to suffer and to go through hardship because He's such a good Father, you know. He loves you so much that He'll even allow you to go through a bit of pain so that you can look more like His Son. Like what, the, the Father above is a God of wisdom. And although it says in James that the Father of God above, He gives gifts to us. But His gifts aren't always the gifts of prosperity. They're sometimes the gifts of adversity. You know, that's why James says, you know, rejoice when you receive or when you, when you have trials. Not if, He says, when trials of many kinds come across your path. Rejoice, because they're going to come. God will ordain them. I was sharing earlier, but this is a story of Peter um, in Luke. Where is it? Luke, towards the end of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, before the, the, the crucifixion. And Jesus is needing to deal with Peter. Peter was a young, zealous, on fire man of God, zealous for God. But the problem with Peter was he was broken. He had parts of his life where he was not, he was, he was, he was, he was a bit of a, he was arrogant. He was prideful. He was, he thought he knew more than he did. And Jesus knew that he would never finish well. He'd probably short-circuit himself in the faith, and Jesus had to help to shape him and to refine him, to, to actually help him to build well. And so there's a story where, um, and I'm going to paraphrase this now, the Mike Dofe version, MDV. And, uh, and, and where Jesus calls Peter over, and he says to Peter, Peter, come here, my boy. I want to, I want to spend some time with you, bro. Yes, Lord. And, he, and kind of imagine Jesus taking Peter along and putting his, his arm around Peter. Peter, Pete. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Um, I don't know what he would call the Lord Jesus, but they were friends, by the way. You know that. I mean, they were a band of tra traveling friends. It actually says of John that John, he calls himself the beloved of Jesus, the best friend, where he even leans his head on the, on the, on the chest of Jesus. Like, what a friend. He just felt so comfortable with him that he was like lounging back at the Last Supper, you know, feed me. <laughs> but that's the kind of friendship. And so I, I can imagine, you know, because it says that Peter spoke to, but I think Jesus put his arm around him, said, my boy, come, I, I want to tell you something. You know, I was praying and spending time with the Father earlier, way before you guys got up. Oh, you lazy slack. You know, no, no, I don't think he said that. And, I, and he says, I was spending time with the Father, and while I was, Satan came to me. Satan paid me a visit. And Satan asked me something for you. Now, Peter is like, yeah? Yes, Lord, what is it? 
And Jesus says, Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. In other words, Satan is asked, he wants to come and refine, and he wants to buffet you, he wants to test you, he wants to tempt you, he wants to have a go at you. Now imagine you being Peter, you know, you're, out, you're with Jesus, but Lord, and of course you rebuked him, right? Get away from me, you don't touch the child of God. What does Peter say to, what does Jesus say to Peter? He says to him, but Peter, my boy, bro, <laughs> Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. He says to Peter. He says to Peter, basically, Peter, I'm allowing the devil an opportunity to sift you. Why would he do that? Is Jesus hateful? Doesn't he care about his friend? No, we, we don't understand the ways of God. And if we, as we dig into Scripture, my friends, we see that sometimes God ordains the devil even. Difficult, the difficult boss, a difficult lecturer, that person in your class who's like the devil. Like, ah! Have you thought that the God might ordain those individuals in your life to shape you, to make you more like his son? Because God promises to do that. And if we get to know the ways of God, we understand that his ways are not our ways. That he shapes us through suffering. And, you know, maybe you've prayed, Lord, I want to be more like you. Lord, would you refine me? I want to be like gold. I want my faith to be a like gold, Lord. And then suddenly the Lord says, okay, I want to turn up the heat. You know, you want to be like gold? I want to refine you. But even if you don't pray that, the Bible says that, that he disciplines those he loves. And that those that are bearing fruit, you might not have even prayed that. He says he's going to prune so that you can bear even more fruit. So you might not even pray, you're just loving the Lord. Hey, life is so good. God is good all the time, you know. And then suddenly it's like, suddenly life is horrible. Suddenly you're in a desert season. God hasn't spoken to you. You're, you're, your friends seem to hate you. You've got no money. You've got more month at the end of your money. You're, you're like... <laughs> You're tithing faithfully. You're giving to God. You're giving, you're giving, you're giving. But like, there's nothing. There's no answer to prayer like the priest that like someone miraculously gave money to, into, your ba- into his bank account. No, you tithe, but nothing came into your bank account. That's happened to me before. Okay, what are you going to do? God, I tithe. Don't you know what I did? Where are you now? What, is, like, is God now your like, slot machine that you give and like, he has to provide? Is he, you know, is Jesus, what is Jesus worth? You only give when it suits you, really? And so he begins to turn it up, and then suddenly it's like, ah, I don't even want to be a Christian anymore. That's so, this is so hard and horrible, man. It's discouraging. I didn't really like, the, I didn't even like Christians anyway. And this Jesus, ah! What have you done? You've, you've just failed the test. Rather than we develop a doctrine, we develop, a, a, we, as we read the scriptures, we understand a theology that actually, no, Lord, this is the means to make me more like Jesus. I, I shared uh, something earlier, and I'm just, oh, I'm running out of time. How, how are we doing? I'm in the land. Can I keep going? Okay, can I keep going? All right. Um, of, you know, when Jesus came into ministry, he was anointed by the Spirit, the dove landed in him, the Father spoke to him from heaven, he got baptized, the glory of God came. And it says that the Spirit of God, when he was 30 years old in ministry, now is my time, leads him 
into a desert, not the devil, the spirit, to be tested for 40 days. God, you do that? I thought you'd lead me into, you know, milk and honey. Um, go read your Bible. And part of, I think, having a theology of suffering is sometimes acknowledging that we just don't always know the answer. Why does God do that? I don't always know. And part of reading Job, and I would encourage you, go read the wisdom books, Job. Go read Job. Read it through. And the one thing you find is where wisdom comes from is sometimes, you know, you get the practical wisdom of Proverbs. That is like the day-to-day practical wisdom. Work hard. You'll be blessed. Spank your child, and they'll probably grow up to be well-disciplined, and they'll love the Lord. (laughs) Paraphrase. Okay. Anyway, that's, uh, okay, I'm being naughty now. That's kind of common sense. You know, if you're lazy, you, you're going to probably, you're never going to get a job. You're never going to get a partner. You're just a loser. That's basically what Proverbs says if you're lazy. You know, the lazy man's full of excuses. It's like, no, you, there's basic principles that work in life, right? They just work because sowing and reaping, that kind of thing. That's good wisdom, common sense wisdom. But Job and Ecclesiastes is not that kind of wisdom. It's the wisdom that says when life doesn't make sense, and there's suffering that comes through life. It's the kind of wisdom that says, Lord, you haven't given me the answer, and actually, I don't know. I just don't know, but I know the one that is faithful, and he doesn't promise to give you always the answer, but he gives him himself, his presence, his power, his grace. Paul says three times he had a thorn in the flesh, the apostle Paul Three times, he, whatever it was, I, it could have been most likely a physical ailment. That, that, and it says, by the way, that the, the, the de- what does it say? That a spirit was given to me, a, a demon basically, uh, to torment me, a tormenting spirit to, to torment me. And Paul says, three times I prayed, Lord, take it away. Take it away. And you know what God says to him? I won't. He says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, basically, you're going to find your strength. And it kept, it, he actually says, it was done to keep me humble, so I wouldn't be arrogant. My friends, the ways of God, it's the ways of God. We, we want to fit into a neat little box, got into a box. Well, I've done this, he must do this now. No. Oh, the ways of God are bigger than our ways. Please, Lord. Oh, Jesus. But yet somehow he remains good. He remains trustworthy, he remains faithful, and he promises to be with you. You know, unbelievers are also going to, they go through just as hard time as we do. The difference is we've got God. They don't. We've got his presence. They don't. This is going deep down in our faith. I want to say you have this, you're going to become a bit like Jacob, you know. You know why Jacob was such a hero? I love him in the Old Testament. Jacob the deceiver. I love that guy. I do, man. He's such, oh, I love that guy. I love the, I love the story that God, in his wisdom, take, here he is, is trying to want the blessing of God, and he tries in his own strength. And then he goes, and in God's wisdom, he puts him under someone worse than himself, his uncle, Laban, that swindles him as he swindled his brother. Then finally, he goes and he wrestles with God. God meets him through the angel, and he wrestles with God. And you know what God does? Dislocates his hip and changes his name to Israel. And for the rest of his life, he walks around with a limp. 
but his name is now Israel, Prince with God, because he's wrestled with God. We have to learn to wrestle with God. You cannot go deep until you've passed through the Jabbok like he did, in a sense that we've wrestled with him. That's a good thing. Complaint before him. Ask him. Wrestle with him. Those are the ways of God. This is the way, as it says in the Mandalorian. <laughs> and I think I'm going to end there. I'm going to leave the last one. I had another point, but I can always give my notes to. I'll just mention briefly Is your doctrine submitted to others? That's the next one. Is your doctrine submitted to others? And actually, Paul does that in Galatians 2. He submits his revelation to those that were eyewitnesses of Jesus because he, he didn't want to get it wrong. We live in an isolated age where we say, don't touch what I believe. We're more informed by the internet at home than we are by the community of believers. So, in closing, I want to say, if you love Jesus, he wants you to develop a good theology. I love Jesus, and I need a good theology. Amen. Amen. And this theology, number one, four tests. Do you say yes to? Do you hold to the gospel that the New Testament and the apostles preached? Number two, does your doctrine lead to worship and obedience? Number three, can it handle suffering? And number four, is it submitted to others? And so I'd like us to pray together. I want to thank you. I know I've gone long. But I really want to thank you guys just for, I think, you know, these are they're stretching times. If we stick through, it's really important. You know, in the worship, as we close, I, be I believe that the Lord reminded me of something in Jude, where it speaks about how we're called to contend for the faith once delivered. And I believe in this room, there are men and women, young men and women, older men and women, doesn't matter your age, but particularly those that are, are young, young men and women that are here today, that God has called you to contend for truth in your generation. And you are going to be on the front line of breaking the gospel forth into nations. God is going to be sending you all over the world. Do you know in whom you have believed? Are you convinced of his ways and his truth? This is an opportunity while you're in a safe place. I know Stellenbosch isn't safe in the sense it's dangerous spiritually, but you're in a church that's safe. This is an opportunity to grow up in God, or are you going to waste it away? So when God sends you, you're it. You are the answer for our generation. You know that. You're God's answer. You are, the, you are men and women of God. God is called. And I want us just to respond to that. As Before we do, I want to just I'll just pray for two, just two groups of people. So bow your heads and let's pray.